Welcome to Words to Live By, a podcast series hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. Each week, we will share some of the wit and wisdom of Ronald Reagan. In essence, Words to Live By, made up of radio addresses and speeches he delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. In light of the heated Republican presidential race, we'll focus today on events taking place after Ronald Reagan announced his candidacy for President of the United States on November 13, 1979, in the ballroom of the New York Hilton. That was just the very beginning because the path to the White House was not an easy one. And well, let's start in Iowa. Reagan's initial strategy was to fly across the country giving speeches. You know, he he was concerned that being a Californian, that people didn't know enough about him. So that was his strategy. At the same time, his opponent, George H.W. Bush, was spending time on the ground in Iowa, which held its precinct caucuses the week before the New Hampshire primary. And, no surprise, Bush won the Iowa caucuses and became the front runner. Okay, now now we're on to New Hampshire, which provided a new challenge and a fresh start for candidate Reagan, who was always at his best as an underdog. By now, he was waging a fierce ground-level campaign. And the best strategy was a planned debate where he invited the leading Republican candidates, George H.W. Bush, Bob Dole, Howard Baker, John Connolly, and Phil Crane. The moderator, Nashua Telegraph editor John Breen, ordered that Reagan's microphone be turned off, at which point Reagan retorted, I paid for this microphone, Mr. Green. Reagan said it with controlled fury, mangling the moderator's name, but making his point with a line borrowed from Spencer Tracy in the 1948 film State of the Union. It was the beginning of the end for Bush as Reagan demolished him in the debate and went on to win the New Hampshire primary handily. So America began to recognize that Ronald Reagan had served capably as governor of the nation's most populous state, and moreover demonstrated that he could work effectively with Democrats. He had never been touched by a hint of a personal scandal. By the spring of 1980, he participated in another debate with George H.W. Bush in Texas and effectively laid out his success as governor of California. When asked about cutting taxes, well, you'll hear what he says. No, I would do the things that I have talked about with regard to cutting of government, and I can point to some experience in the same situation. When I became governor of California, it was just like the federal government, bankrupt, and with a deficit, an amounting deficit. And uh, I know that some of these things work. Uh, I would even, I would even go back to an example that happened since I was governor in California, Prop 13. Everyone in the country heard the horrifying tales of what was going to happen if they cut the property tax as much as Proposition 13 said they were going to. Well, it's been in effect about 18 months now. And the result is there are 100,000 fewer public workers. But the private sector in these 18 months has created 532,000 new jobs, and the state of California wound up with a $3 billion surplus. And in the same debate, he clarified his approach to immigration, which was ultimately finalized in his 1986 Immigration Reform Act. I think the time has come 
that the United States and our neighbors, particularly our neighbor to the south, should have a better understanding and a better relationship than we've ever had. And I think that we haven't been sensitive enough to our size and our power. They have a problem of 40 to 50% unemployment. Now, this cannot continue without the possibility arising with regard to that other country that we talked about, of Cuba and what it is stirring up, of the possibility of trouble below the border and we could have a very hostile and strange neighbor on our border. Rather than making them or talking about putting up a fence, why don't we work out some recognition of our mutual problems, make it possible for them to come here legally with a work permit, and then while they're working and earning here, they pay taxes here. And when they go, want to go back, they can go back and they can cross and open the border both ways by understanding their problems. This is the only safety valve right now they have with that unemployment that probably keeps the lid from blowing off down there. And I think we could have a, friend, a fine relationship and it would solve the problem you mentioned also. And his closing statement? Well, let's listen. In the 18th century, we created here in this land the freest, most unique society that has ever been known to man. In the 19th century, we built the greatest industrial power that the world has ever seen, and we spent most of the 20th century apologizing. And I don't know what we're apologizing for. I think that living Americans today have fought harder, done more for the dignity of man than any people who've ever lived on this earth. And I also share the view that Jimmy Carter must be removed from office. If I thought someone else had a better chance to beat him than I did, I wouldn't be a candidate. I would be supporting that someone else. But in these last 20 years of this century, we must make sure that the young people and the people who are going to follow us will have the same opportunity, the same glittering opportunity that has been ours through 200 years of our history. It is all here, it is all possible to the American people, and I want to see the American people have that chance without government crowding them down and becoming the all-powerful instrument in their lives, controlling their destinies. Thank you. Following this debate in April 1980, Ronald Reagan soundly defeated George H.W. Bush in his state of Texas. By May, Bush had conceded, and Ronald Reagan became the nominee of the Republican Party. We'll hear a bit from his acceptance speech, a bit from his debate with Jimmy Carter, and his speech on Election Eve known as A Vision for America. We'll be right back. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself, and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles, individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now, back to the story. Throughout the summer and early fall of 1980, polls showed that a majority of Americans had given up on Carter, but had not decided if Reagan should replace him. Ronald Reagan was strong in the West and cutting into Carter's base in the South, but independent voters, especially in the East, still harbored doubts. 
On July 15, 1979, President Carter gave a nationally televised speech. In it, he said that Americans suffered from a crisis of confidence that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. Candidate Reagan took issue with this pessimistic premise. I find no national malaise, he said. I find nothing wrong with the American people. He elaborated in his acceptance speech at the RNC. Let's listen. It's July, 1980. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Vice President-to-be, this convention, my fellow citizens of this great nation, with a deep awareness of the responsibility conferred by your trust, I accept your nomination for the presidency of the United States. I, I do so with deep gratitude. I'm very proud of our party tonight. This convention has shown to all America a party united with positive programs for solving the nation's problems a party ready to build a new consensus with all those across the land who share a community of values embodied in these words, family, work, neighborhood, peace, and freedom. Now, I know that we've had, we've had a quarrel or two, but it's only as to the method of attaining a goal. There was no argument here about the goal. As president, I will establish a liaison with the 50 governors to encourage them to eliminate, wherever it exists, discrimination against women. I will, I will monitor federal laws to ensure their implementation and to add statutes if they are needed. More than, more than anything else, I want my candidacy to unify our country, to renew the American spirit and sense of purpose. I want to carry our message to every American, regardless of party affiliation, who is a member of this community of shared values. As you may recall, Ronald Reagan was greatly impressed by the iconic Franklin Roosevelt, the happy warrior who had inspired him as a young man. Stylistically, at least, FDR was inside of Reagan. Let's hear his resolve to buoy the spirit of the American people. The major issue of this campaign is the direct political, personal, and moral responsibility of Democratic Party leadership in the White House and in the Congress for this unprecedented calamity which has befallen us. They tell us they've done the most that could humanly be done. They say that the United States has had its day in the sun, that our nation has passed its zenith. They expect you to tell your children that the American people no longer have the will to cope with their problems, that the future will be one of sacrifice and few opportunities. My fellow citizens, I utterly reject that view. The American people, the American people, the most generous on earth, who created the highest standard of living, are not going to accept the notion that we can only make a better world for others by moving backward ourselves. And those who believe we can have no business leading this nation. I will not stand by and watch this great country destroy itself under mediocre leadership that drifts from one crisis 
to the next, eroding our national will and purpose. We have come together here because the American people deserve better from those to whom they entrust our nation's highest offices. And we stand united. We stand united in our resolve to do something about it. At one point in the campaign, he characterized the Carter economic recession as a depression in a speech to the Teamsters Group in Ohio. Carter said Reagan was wrong. So candidate Reagan took the opportunity to clarify. If he wants a definition, candidate Reagan said, I'll give him one. Recession is when your neighbor loses his job. Depression is when you lose yours. And recovery? Recovery is when Jimmy Carter loses his. Now, on to the debate. You know, the debate. Until now, no incumbent president had ever debated his opponent on television. Conventional political wisdom held that a challenger automatically became presidential by the very act of occupying the same stage as the president. Still, Carter reluctantly agreed to a debate, discounting the president as an inexperienced actor. So they met on October 28th at the Cleveland Music Hall. Here's a memorable excerpt. Governor Reagan, as a matter of fact, began his political career campaigning around this nation against Medicare. Now we have an opportunity to move toward national health insurance with an emphasis on the prevention of disease, an emphasis on outpatient care, not inpatient care, an emphasis on hospital cost containment to hold down the cost of hospital care for those who are ill, an emphasis on catastrophic health insurance so that if a family is threatened with being wiped out economically because of, very, of a very high uh, medical bill, then the insurance would help pay for it. These are the kind of elements of a national health insurance important to the American people. Governor Reagan, again, typically is against such a proposal. Governor, <laughs> there you go again. When I opposed Medicare, there was another piece of legislation meeting the same problem before the Congress. I happened to favor the other piece of legislation and thought that it would be better for the senior citizens and provide better care than the one that was finally passed. I was not opposing the principle of providing care for them. I was opposing one piece of legislation as versus another. And then, of course, at the end of the debate, well, let's listen. Next Tuesday is Election Day. Next Tuesday, all of you will go to the polls, will stand there in the polling place and make a decision. I think when you make that decision, it might be well if you would ask yourself, are you better off than you were four years ago? Is it easier for you to go and buy things in the stores than it was four years ago? Is there more or less unemployment in the country than there was four years ago? Is America as respected throughout the world as it was? Do you feel that our security is as safe, that we're as strong as we were four years ago? And if you answer all of those questions, yes, why then I think your choice is very obvious as to who you'll vote for. If you don't agree, if you don't think that this course that we've been on for the last four years is what you would like to see us follow for the next four, then I could suggest another choice that you have. This country doesn't have to be in the shape that it is in. We do not have to go, down, go on 
sharing in scarcity, with uh, the country getting worse off, with unemployment growing. We talk about the unemployment lines. If all of the unemployed today were in a single line, allowing two feet for each one of them, that line would reach from New York City to Los Angeles, California. All of this can be cured, and all of it can be solved. The debate clinched the election. Reagan might have won, in all probability would have won without it. But his assured performance at Cleveland had destroyed Carter's last hope for victory. A CBS poll contained a telling statistic. The percentage of people who thought that Reagan would lead the country into war declined from 43 to 35 percent after that debate. On election eve, candidate Reagan delivered a vision for America on national television. During this last year, I've had a chance to meet and talk on the campaign trail with Americans in every corner of the United States. I find no national malaise. I find nothing wrong with the American people. Oh, they're frustrated, even angry at what has been done to this blessed land. But more than anything, they're sturdy and robust as they've always been. Any nation that sees softness in our prosperity or disunity in our sometimes noisy arguments with each other, let such nations not make the mistake others have made. Let them understand that we will put aside in a moment the fruits of our prosperity and the luxury of our disagreements if the cause is a safe and peaceful future for our children. Let it always be clear that we have no dreams of empire, that we seek no manifest destiny, that we understand the limitations of any one nation's power. But let it also be clear that we do not shirk history's call, that America is not turned inward but outward toward others. Let it be clear that we have not lessened our commitment to peace or to the hope that someday all of the peoples of the world will enjoy lives of decency, lives with a degree of freedom, with a measure of dignity. Together, tonight, let us say what so many long to hear, that America is still united, still strong, still compassionate, still clinging fast to the dream of peace and freedom, still willing to stand by those who are persecuted or alone. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to the Words to Live By podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of Words to Live By come out every Tuesday. Like what you hear? Check out our A Reagan Forum podcast featuring great speeches delivered at the Reagan Library. New episodes drop every Thursday. And... Don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan 40 on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.